Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. What an incredible, incredible time of worship. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of song, the gift of worship, Father, an opportunity for us to praise your name. Father, thank you for invading our hearts with your truth, for giving us the, the outlet, Lord, just to pour out our hearts to you, to cry out to you, to worship you. Father, I pray that 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 same desire and spirit of worship would continue with us right now as we worship you through the studying of your word, Father. We're going to open up your truth. You've given us a, a very clear direction, an understanding of how we ought to live our lives. Lord, open up our spiritual minds to be able to see and understand and comprehend this truth, Father. Thank you for what you're doing here. Bless us encourage us to be the men and women of God you've called us to be. And Father, we pray right now through the power of the Holy Spirit that we could be transformed more and more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. August the 13th, 1776. General George Washington was preparing his troops for the Battle of Brooklyn Heights, the colonists would face the British Army. Declaration of Independence had been signed a few months, a few weeks earlier. The American Revolution was in full swing. And on that date, General Washington wrote his daily orders to his commanders these words. The enemy's whole reinforcement has now arrived so that an attack must and will soon be made. Every officer and soldier will have his arms and ammunition in good order and keep within their quarters and encampment as much as possible. Be ready for action at a moment's call. And when called to it, remember that liberty, property, life, and honor are all at stake. That upon their courage and conduct rest the hopes of their bleeding and insulted country. That their wives, their children, their parents expect safety from them only. And that we have every reason to expect that heaven will crown with success so just a cause. Now the cause that General Washington was referring to was the American Revolution. The war would last for five more years. America would eventually win and become one of the greatest and most powerful countries that the world has ever known. The the American Revolution was one of the greatest movements in history, but it wasn't alone. There were other movements. There were other things over the centuries that have molded and shaped and really changed the landscape of the earth. I think about Mahatma Gandhi and his leadership in India bringing those people to freedom, independence. 
I think about Martin Luther King Jr. and the civil rights movement in America. There are so many movements through history that have impacted so many people. But of all of the great movements, of all of the historical figures and the things that have happened down through the centuries, there's one movement that I believe and will argue has had a longer lasting impact and affected more people than any other movement in history. It's the movement of the Holy Spirit through His church to reach the world for Christ. That movement has been going now for 2,000 years and has affected literally billions of people. From ordinary to extraordinary, it's the greatest movement in the history of the world. And God has given us this gift in the book of Acts A historical account of exactly what the Lord did and exactly how He moved. And so I'm going to invite you this morning to take your Bibles, open to the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 1. This is our first week in our study through the book of Acts, a sermon series that we've entitled From Ordinary to Extraordinary. Now over the next several months, we're going to work through verse by verse all 28 chapters in the book of Acts, the definitive history of the first century church. John Stott, a well-known pastor and theologian and one of my favorite authors, said this in his commentary about the book of Acts. He said, thank God for the Acts of the Apostles. The New Testament would be greatly impoverished without it. We're given four accounts of Jesus but only one of the early church. The Acts occupies an indispensable place in history. Now now we understand that Christianity began with Jesus and with his ministry and his death and his burial and his resurrection, but this is important. The growth of Christianity across the world has been driven by the local church. What Christ started in the hearts of his disciples has continued on through the local church and centuries later, we're still talking about it. We're still trying to understand it. We're still trying to live it out. And so we're going to work through the book of Acts to get a better understanding of the church, the call of the church, and specifically the Holy Spirit working within the church. Now, many of you probably already know this, but I'm going to give you just a little bit of background to orient you before we jump into verse 1. Luke wrote the Acts of the Apostles. Now, you may remember the name of Luke because of the Gospel of Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. In fact, Acts is really the second volume of a two-volume set. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, and in it he covered the earthly life and ministry of Jesus. Luke then wrote the Acts of the Apostles and covered the beginning and the foundation and the movement of the first century church. And so for Luke, it's kind of this continuation of the story of Christ while he was on earth. And this is important. Now watch this. And the book of Acts is a continuation of how Christ continued to work in the church. But now instead of in bodily earthly form, he's going to do it through his spirit. And so Luke has given us this account of Christ and the new century church, the first century church, and all that the Lord was going to do through this. Now Luke, many of you probably already know, was a physician. Luke traveled with Paul. Luke probably attended to Paul. What you may not know is Luke's also known as a pretty good historian. 
In fact, he tells us in the book of Luke that kind of the reason he's writing these books is to give Theophilus, this is a friend of his, we'll talk about him in just a minute, an orderly account of all Jesus did and all the early church is going to do. So he wants to write this history to help the people understand all that Christ was going to do, all the church was going to do. In fact, one scholar, when thinking and talking about Luke, said this, As far as his own eyewitness accounts in the book of Acts are concerned, Luke has achieved the reputation of utmost accuracy. One of the most distinguished of all New Testament archaeologists, Sir William Ramsey, is said to have been converted partially through his surprised realization of the precise accuracy of Luke's depiction of conditions in the first century. The archaeologist Ramsey said, Luke's history is unsurpassed in respect of its trustworthiness. This author should be placed along with the very greatest of historians. Luke has written us this orderly account and he's been very thorough in his investigation. It's trustworthy. It's the definitive history of the church. Now, just a couple of interesting facts before we move on and begin our study in verse 1. If you combine the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts together and add up words and compare that to the New Testament, Luke and Acts together is about a fourth of the New Testament. Now, we think about Paul and the prolific writings of Paul and all the letters he wrote that became books of the New Testament. But Luke wrote a lot himself, a fourth of the New Testament written by Luke. Now, many of your Bibles, if you're open to Acts chapter 1, it probably says at the top, the title, the Acts of the Apostles. That's true. I would argue, as some others have through history, maybe a better title would be the Acts of the Holy Spirit working through the Apostles. Because if you think about the early church, the first century church like a car, the Holy Spirit was the engine that drove the car. The Holy Spirit gave the power and the ability for the church to accomplish the things that it accomplished. And so one of the things we're going to see throughout this study of Acts is the work and the movement and the influence and the the power of the Holy Spirit. Now there's, there's a lot of main themes we could pull from Acts. And we'll talk about some of these themes as we go throughout our study. The creation of the early church is one of the main themes The the growth of the early church. The Holy Spirit is one of the main themes. Missions, of course, are found all through the book of Acts, beginning in Jerusalem, ending up with Paul to the uttermost parts of the earth. But the, the theme that I really wanted to kind of focus on and begin to look at and understand through our study is this idea of ordinary to extraordinary. Because one of the things I love about the New Testament and especially about the book of Acts is that the Lord chooses to take very ordinary people, run-of-the-mill people, and through the power of the Spirit, accomplish great things in their lives. So, so like the apostles, these are just kind of 12 normal, ordinary guys, fishermen, tax collectors, just a bunch of nobodies. Nobody thought a whole lot of them. Probably none of us would have picked those 12 guys to live with and learn from Jesus. But Christ calls those 12 ordinary men through the power of the Spirit working in their lives. They do extraordinary things. Paul who was a hater of the church, a persecutor of the church. He made it his life's ambition to destroy Christianity through the power of the Spirit working in his life. He did extraordinary things. 
Right, the early church, we'll see through our study of the book of Acts, that when Jesus ascends into heaven, there, now think about this. Now, Jesus, Jesus was on the earth for all these years, ministered for three years. This is Christ, and when he left earth, there were 120 believers. Way less than half of what's in here right now. 120 believers left when Jesus leaves. He takes those 120 ordinary believers who were, by the way, scared for their very lives. They were hiding out in the upper room. The Bible tells us for fear of the Jews. The Lord takes them, sends the Holy Spirit upon them. And these ordinary people, these ordinary 120 people that probably couldn't do a whole lot without the Lord in their lives, do extraordinary things. I love that theme because it ought to hit home with you. You ought to kind of ask yourself this question. You know, Lord, I'm, I'm just an ordinary guy. I get up Monday morning, go to work. I got a family. I work hard. I try to put food on the table. Or you say, I'm a mom and I'm, a, I'm just an ordinary. Nothing fancy about me or my family. We just kind of do our thing. We're ordinary people. The question you ought to ask yourself through this study is what extraordinary thing does the Lord want to do through my life? Not through my own ability, but through the power of the Spirit working through me. Because we're going to see over and over and time and time again that the Lord's going to take these regular people in the book of Acts, give them the power of the Spirit, they're going to do extraordinary things. So let's begin our study this morning. Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. We have it on the screen. You can follow along there as well. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In the first book, right, this is a reference to the gospel of Luke. Luke is writing Acts. He's referring back to the book of Luke. In the first book, O Theophilus. Now, this is a guy he's written to. We don't know exactly who he is. Uh, possibly a, a government official. He references him in Luke as well. And so because of Theophilus listed in Luke chapter 1 and Acts chapter 1, we can kind of make this connection together. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Right, in other words, in my first book, I wrote a lot about the life of Jesus, what he taught, what he did. Verse 2, until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Verse 3, he presented himself alive to them. After his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days, speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Now stop there for a second. Let's draw out a truth and begin to understand it. One of the things we see really through the life of Christ and especially the, the latter months leading up to his death, burial, and resurrection is Jesus gives his disciples, this is our first truth this morning, number one, the promise of the Holy Spirit. Right, so Jesus is saying to his disciples, listen guys, I'm about to go, I'm leaving, I'm going to end up in heaven, but I'm not going to leave you alone, right? I'm not going to kind of leave you by yourself to fend for yourself. I'm going to send to you the, the comforter, is how he re refers to the Holy Spirit oftentimes. I'm going to send you this power, this spirit that's going to guide you and direct you throughout the rest of your ministry. 
Now, at this point in our story, Jesus has already been arrested. He's been crucified, dead for three days, rose from the grave. And then there's this period of time when Jesus spends with his disciples after his resurrection, before he ascends into heaven. And the Bible tells us, bring up verse 3 again, if you would, for me, please. In those days, he presented himself alive to them. Right? And he, and he gave them all these proofs. He appeared to them during 40 days. He spoke to them about the kingdom of God. Look at verse 4. He stayed with them. See that in the first part of verse? He ordered them not to depart. So, so are all these proofs that Jesus was alive and, and still at work. And in the mix of all this, as he's teaching them and ordering them not to leave, he's saying to them, listen, I want you to wait for the promise of the Father. Right now, here, here's what the disciples do. And this, to me, is, is one of our points of application. This, one. this is kind of how we begin to apply this to our lives. The disciples hear from Jesus. He's going to give them this promise. Uh, there's these things that are going to happen to them. The disciples don't know exactly what that means yet. But the disciples are going to receive this power from the Spirit, and great things are going to happen. Now, here, here's the problem with the disciples. The disciples always kind of miss what Jesus was saying. And so they never quite, they didn't really understand the death, burial, and resurrection. They weren't quite certain about what was going to happen. They didn't understand the power of the Spirit. So they're always questioning. And their default, as is the case with far too many of us, their default was, what can I get out of this? So Jesus is leaving. He's going to leave us with this Spirit. He's going to give us this promise. He's going to give us this power what can we get out of it? Pull verse 6 up. So, so this leads, this idea of them thinking about themselves, desiring what they want. And, and by the way, as we read this, right, you're beginning to ask yourself this question. You know, am, am I making decisions based on what I want or what the Holy Spirit's leading me to do? Right, and so they ask Jesus this question, right? They're, they're, they're waiting on this power. They're waiting on this promise. They've come together and they asked him now in verse 6, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Right, because that's what we want. The Jewish people for centuries had looked for a Messiah that would be political, that would be militarily uh, powerful, that would be some sort of a king that would reestablish the Jewish people in their rightful place. And so when they hear about this power, they, they hear about this gift, they ask the Lord, okay, is it, is it time now for you to restore the kingdom? You're going to be king. We're going to help you out and serving and leading these people, right? We want you to do some pretty incredible things with this power. Jesus says, no, 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 it's not really about that. I've got a different plan for you. And, and I read that and I, I start kind of asking myself the question, you know, am I on a regular basis trying to serve the Lord or trying to serve myself? Am I trying to figure out what I can gain out of what the Lord gives me or am I trying to figure out how I can take what the Lord's given me and use it for His glory? Because there's a big difference. You know, this, this is a, a fun part of the year because school started back, right? And we're... Happy about that for a couple of weeks. We're excited. School started. It's a neat thing. And I just, I wonder, I started thinking, how can we, how can we kind of apply this to our lives? So teachers, let's just start with you. How often have you prayed that the Spirit would guide you in your classroom this year? Have you been praying that the Spirit of the Lord would literally just empower you in that classroom to make a difference in the lives of those kids? Because, listen, I love education. It's important. We need to do it. it all that's good and well, and I, I love it. But nothing's more important than those kids' souls. 
And so we want to educate them. We want to be professional. We want to, we want to understand our, our, our subject matter and do a really good job and get those kids excited about learning. Yes, but man, are we praying that the Spirit would use us to reach the hearts of these kids for the sake of eternity? Students, are you walking into your, your new classrooms this year wondering how the Spirit of the Lord can use you to minister to the kids sitting around you? Does that, does that thought ever cross our minds? Like, are we interested in allowing the Spirit to, to, to do something incredible or something extraordinary through us? Or are we more concerned about what we can get out of, about what we need? How many of us get up on a Monday morning and, and pray that the Spirit would use us to do extraordinary things during the week? I feel so often like the disciples, you know, what can I get out of this? What can I gain? You know, how can I build myself up? What's going to be good for me in all of this? Lord, are you going to give me these things? Instead, the Lord says, listen, it's not really about what you want. It's not about your will. It's about my will. Because I've got a much better plan than you'll ever have. I can accomplish greater things than you'll ever accomplish. If you'll just trust me and allow my spirit to work through you, you can go from kind of this ordinary guy to doing extraordinary things through the power of the spirit working in your life. So Jesus says, listen, I'm going to promise you this power. I'm going to promise you the Spirit. Now look at verse 8. I said, they said, listen, are we going to get the kingdom? Or are we going to be restored? Are you going to be a military leader? Are you going to be political? Are you going to be powerful? What are we going to get out of this? Jesus says, it's not about the hour and the time. Don't worry about any of that. But, right, so in other words, don't worry about that. Instead, Jesus says in verse 8, and I believe if you were to, you know, if you think about writing a paper when you were in school, kind of the thesis statement, kind of the main idea of the whole paper, I would argue that Acts 1-8 is kind of the thesis, the main idea of the book of Acts. Acts 1-8 says this, you, speaking to the disciples, will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So we've seen, first of all, the, the promise of the Holy Spirit. The second thing we see, number two, is the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I'm going I'm to give you this Spirit, and through this Spirit, you're going to receive great power. Now, the disciples at this moment didn't fully understand. It's, it's not going to be until Pentecost when the Holy Spirit falls, and we'll get there and talk about that, and Peter stands up in boldness and preaches, and all those people are saved. It's not until the Holy Spirit actually... <clears throat> falls upon the lives of these believers that they realize and understand the full power they have through the Spirit. But once they understand that power, the book of Acts is filled with them doing miraculous things for the sake of the kingdom. Right, they're they're going to heal the sick. They're going to cause the lame to walk, the blind to see. They're going to preach these incredible sermons. Thousands of people are going to get saved. It's not through their own power that those things happen. It's through the power of the Spirit. You know, you think about cars. I, I, I talked about this just a few minutes ago, and, and many of you guys know I've got an old truck. It's an old 1996 Ford Ranger, almost 300,000 miles. I love the truck, but it's just about done. I had to get it fixed a couple of weeks ago, and they basically told me, this is the last time we can fix it. <clears throat> I'm like, really? You know, kind of pity party. I, I'm to the point now that you don't have to put a new engine in it, right? right so it's, it's, it's the spirit... That is the engine that drives this car. If you remove the spirit, right, if the head gasket blows, the car's not going anywhere. 
If you remove the spear, the church isn't going anywhere. And I'm, I'm just fearful that far too many churches operate almost like a social club where we just enjoy fellowship and company and coffee and talking together and socials and all those things are good, but we've removed the power and we're just sitting still and we don't know it. We're just not going anywhere. Now, we feel good about the car. It looks good, man. We shine it up. It looks good inside. We keep it clean. And we, we feel real. We're just not. We're just sitting on the asphalt, not moving. Christ says, man, I've given you this power. Like, I don't want to scare anybody. And I don't, want you, I don't want you to think I'm weird. But I think biblically I can prove this. I think we can still heal people through the power of the Spirit. I believe that. Amen. I think the Spirit still works. I mean, I've talked to believers in other parts of the world who say, Look, this, I was healed. The Spirit of the Lord healed me. I had a conversation with, with one of our missionaries in South Asia uh, a couple of weeks ago. And, and, and he said, man, we, we experienced this demon-possessed man. He just went into some great detail of what this guy was doing, possessed by a demon. He said, this demon-possessed man, I get this. He said, this demon-possessed man was quoting verbatim entire chapters of the book of the Bible. Just entire chapters out of the Bible. But when he would come to the name of God, he would replace it with the name of a demon. He said that the spiritual world is, is very real and, and only through power and, and really through uh, prayer and fasting were they able to remove that demon. I think the Spirit is still at work. I think the Spirit has empowered us to do great things. I think the church in America has missed the calling oftentimes of the Holy Spirit. I think we've kind of gotten afraid of it. Like we, we get God the Father and God the Son, God the Spirit, you know. Okay, but we call it the Holy Ghost, and we're all afraid of ghosts anyway, so let's not worry about that. And yet we see in, in this book of Acts, the power of the Spirit demonstrated through the life of these people. And here's what you do. Here's what too many people do. They say, you know what? I get that. Calling of the Lord, power of the Spirit, but I'm just afraid. I've just got this spirit of fear. I, I just can't go out and do for the Lord. Or, or maybe I can't share my faith. I read an article a couple weeks ago about how to get over your fear of evangelism. Right, there's all kind of fears that we face. And I'm reminded of these believers pre-Holy Spirit. Right, So John chapter 20, on the evening of the first week of that, this is after Jesus had been crucified, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Right, so, so these are the people that watched... Just think about this. These are the people that watched Jesus walk on the water. And he's crucified, and now they're scared to death. They, they, they run and hide in the upper room. I'm just reminded of, of the fear of, of Peter and these disciples and these men that kind of lived their life with Christ. But I'm also reminded of the strength and the courage they found through the power of the Spirit. Jesus says, I'm going to send you this power... And through it, you're going to do extraordinary things. I pull up verse 80 again because I want you to notice what he calls them to do. Right? I'm going to, I'm going to give you, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then you will be able to fly. That's what the power is for, right? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then you will have the ability to read people's minds. That's what the power is for, right? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon me. And you, what's the point of the power? Be my witnesses. In other words, I've given you this power, not so you can do this cool stuff and impress everybody just for the sake of impressing everybody. I've given you this power, why? So you can be my witnesses. 
So you can summon up through the power of the Spirit the courage to tell others about Christ. Now, I want to kind of put something out there for you. I want to let you pray a little bit about it and think a little bit about it. And we're going to talk a lot more about it through the book of Acts. We talk a lot here about evangelism, reaching the world for Christ, personal evangelism, sharing your faith with others. We should be doing that on some sort of a regular basis, however the Lord leads you. We talk an an awful lot about short-term mission work. We send hundreds of people all over the world and all over North America. We send people to South America, all continents. We talk about short-term. We're talking more and more now about kind of medium-term. we got some people that have gone for a month, two, three, six. We're talking about long-term. We've got a couple that's already moved away and another couple you're going to meet very soon that's about to move away. So long-term. We we talked a lot about missions. The the one area, and the, the Lord's just really burdened me with this, and this is one of the things I'm excited to go through in the book of Acts. One of the things we have not talked about, and I, I really think it's the next step for our church, is the idea of church planting. Right, if you think about Paul, and we'll, we'll get there in his missionary journeys, but you think about Paul, Paul went all over Asia Minor sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, and everywhere he went, what did he do? Do you remember? He started a church. He got a few people saved. They began to meet as a Bible study. They become a, a small little church. He helped them grow, moved on, and did it somewhere else. So his letters, you may not know this, his, his letters, the books of the New Testament, are written to those churches that he started, kind of correcting and helping them grow. So Paul went around and planted all these churches. This was kind of the model he used to reach the world for Christ. And so I want to begin to kind of pray about and think about as a body of believers what the Lord's calling us to do when it comes to church planting. I mean, I don't want to scare any of you, but maybe he's calling some of you guys to go start a church. Maybe he's calling a group of you to go start a church. Maybe there's a group of people the Lord wants to reach and you're the group of people he's called to do it through the power of the Spirit. So he's given us this promise. He's given us this power. And now we need to finish this up. Look at the second half of verse 8 again. Pull that up. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be witnesses. That's the whole point of the power in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Truth number three, we've seen the promise of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit, and then number three, the plan of the Spirit. God says, I've got a very specific plan for you. You don't just have to kind of guess or randomly walk around. I've got this plan for you to reach the world for Christ. It's very simple. It's going to begin right where you are. It's going to grow from there to Judea, Samaria, eventually to the uttermost parts of the earth. Jesus says, I want you to focus and think about what you're doing here, how you can reach these people first. From there, go to Judea, Samaria. From there, go to the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, I want to just—I want to finish with this idea because this is fascinating to me. I argued already, and I think you'll see this all through the Book of Acts. I think Acts one eight is really the the thesis, the main idea, the foundational statement in the Book of Acts. If that were true, then we would expect to see the church grow from Jerusalem first, then to Judea, Samaria, eventually to the uttermost parts of the earth. We would expect to see that progression through the Book of Acts. Now, I'm not going to ask you to flip unless you just want to do it real quick in your Bible, but I've got some verses I want you to see that will demonstrate the Lord's plan lived out through the people in the Book of Acts. So we have these on the screen. Acts chapter 2 46, right? Jesus 
leaves. He ascends into heaven. The Holy Spirit falls upon these people. The church is founded. And we're probably familiar with the end of Acts chapter 2. And day to day, these are the local believers attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes. They receive their food with glad and generous hearts. By the way, there's an awful lot we can learn about what the church is supposed to be. We'll be there in a few weeks. Then verse 47. Praising God, having favor with all the people. Now this is important. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So we've already seen now the beginning of Acts 1-8, right? We're going to start in Jerusalem. The Lord is going to add to their number those that will be saved. Go to Acts 6-7. And the word of the Lord continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly where? In Jerusalem, and a great many priests became obedient to the faith. Acts chapter 9, right? You just see this progression, this growth. Acts chapter 9, verse 31. So the church throughout all what? Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Acts chapter 12, verse 24, as persecution breaks out in Jerusalem, leads to more and more growth, the word of God increased and multiplied. Acts chapter 16, verse 5, Paul has now gone on his missionary journeys. He's planted churches. Great things are happening. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Paul continues to grow on his missionary journeys, Acts 19, 20. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. We, we just see this upward trend in the book of Acts, starting in Acts 1-8, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. And I would argue with you, and this is foundational where we're going to go in the book of Acts, I would argue that everything the Spirit did in the first century church, He still wants to do today. He still wants to do it today. We should see this upward trend in the local church of reaching locally, regionally, to the ends of the earth. But it can't happen without you. Right? To the shock of a lot of people, the church is not the building, it's the people. And so when we talk about the growth of the first century church, we're talking about you. And I think a lot of us, me included, sometimes need a bigger vision of the Lord. He really can do incredible things. He's done it all through the Old Testament. He's done it all through the New Testament. He still wants to do it today. Very simply, God wants to take a bunch of ordinary people, you and me, and do extraordinary things through us for the sake of his kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the work of the Spirit in the first century, all the centuries since, and especially in our lives today. Well, the same Holy Spirit that emboldened Peter and Paul and the disciples is the same Spirit we have today. Father, just open our minds and hearts to that truth. Open our minds and our hearts to the truth of the power of the Spirit working in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, help us just to sense the presence of the Spirit just to live by the truth of your word. Father, I pray that we would go just from ordinary people, Lord, to doing extraordinary things, not because of anything we can do. We're weak and sinful and frail. But when the power of the Spirit leads us and guides us, there is a strength unimaginable. Allow us to tap into that strength. Allow us to be guided by the Spirit to do incredible, extraordinary things for you, for the sake of your kingdom. 
And we'll praise your name for everything that you do. It's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. You can stand. The altar is open. It's an opportunity for you to respond. You come as we sing together this morning. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.